0: This is episode 71 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 71 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have Gary Hibbert on the show, and Gary is one of these people that I just stumbled across. I happened to hear an episode that he was on of a different podcast, heard him talking, and I'm like, man, this guy is going to be fun to have on the podcast. Uh, he just has so much wisdom. He's been in the game for a real long time, and I picked up on it right away, but his mindset is just all the way there. Um he really does have his uh his head in the game. He uh, has systems that he has implemented in his life that allow him to stay focused, stay stay working towards his goals and he's created an abundance of cash flow in his life uh with his real estate portfolio. So right now he's sitting at 14 properties and uh it was previously higher, but he's looking at new types of investments that are more passive uh, because he's really established what it is that he wanted to establish, and it is in line with his goals. A really fun part of this episode was that Gary and I just dug into our opinions about the current situation and what's happening, the shutdown, how it was handled, and what it means in the, in the larger scale. On that note, because this episode was actually recorded a couple of weeks ago. As I'm recording this intro, it is June 19th. The episode was from June 2nd. I did just wanna give a couple of updates we're now opening up. We're seeing bars and restaurants actually opening up for patio use as of today. And uh, to me, it it was a long time coming. It's no secret I'm opinionated, so I might as well just keep rolling with it. I, as you know, do not agree with this shutdown. I never did agree with the way the shutdown was handled. And uh, I just don't think that the government ever explained to us what the plan was, how it made logical sense, and how it was going to protect us. Um, We do have an absolute civic duty to understand what's going on in our government understand the basis of their decisions and they have an obligation to tell us we just really haven't had that lately as always guys i'll just ask you to please continue to question things please continue to stand up to your politicians stand up against rules that don't make sense and, and stand for truth because at the end of the day truth and free speech seem to be quashed a heck of a lot these days that's just not the way it's meant to be i love this free society that we've grown up in and i want to see it continue and i am so happy to see things opening up and and this time we're going to keep it this way. No matter what happens, let's let's resolve that we're going to keep it this way. And we're going to hold our ourselves and we're going to hold our politicians accountable to make sure that that does happen and that we come up with a plan that actually makes sense and actually works. So without digressing too much more, I did just want to ask, if you could, please uh, take a moment and just go ahead and rate and review this podcast on whatever platform you listen to. As far as I understand, Apple Podcasts is the platform that will allow you to write a review. I I think that there are some others that will allow it as well. And if you're watching on YouTube and you haven't already done so, please just hit that like and subscribe button and make sure that you also hit the notification bell so you get notified when the new episodes come out. Thank you so much to the people who already wrote. Really, really nice reviews. I just took a look through and I really appreciate everything you're doing to uh, help spread the word about this podcast and help it grow. Without further ado, please enjoy today's episode. I know you're going to enjoy it. It was a heck of a lot of fun to to chat with Gary. So enjoy episode 71. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I've got Gary Hibbert on the show today. And uh, Gary, thank you very much for being here.
1: Hey, listen, thank you very much for having me. I'm, uh, I'm excited to, uh, to do this. And, uh, you know, I think it's very, some, some very interesting times that we're, we're living through right now. So we'll see where this conversation takes us.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know what, I, I, I actually had heard your name around. I didn't even realize you had your own podcast. And then I, yeah. I saw you do an interview and I love interviewing podcast hosts because you always always have lots to say and lots of good yeah. questions to ask. So um, this will be fun. And um, yeah, but just to start off, um, give me a little bit of background and our listeners and viewers a bit of background on you. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, we'll start back, I guess, in, in, in
1: 2008. Uh, I used to work for, uh, for TD Bank uh, and... Um, I wonder where I should take this. You know, I, I can go real long or real deep on this, but I'm sure you've got lots of other questions you want to get into. But I'll, I'll give it into you in a nutshell. Anyways, 2008, this is when they had the whole financial crisis. And um, Canada didn't really get hit hard by it. However, people were losing their jobs uh, during that time. And I went into work. It was, we called it a Black Monday sat down in my cubicle. One of my coworkers got called in. And, um, when I saw the look at his face, I was like, Oh shit, it's on. And he had just got let go. And all day long, they just firing people. And, um, uh, fortunately I survived. I made it. And, and I really needed to keep the job. Cause I just had bought a house. I got two young kids at home, a wife at home. And I was like, never again, do I ever want to feel like somebody is in control of my financial freedom or future. And uh, that really led me down the road of real estate. And, uh, and I had to learn I had to get financially educated. And uh, from there, I started my own real estate investment club, um, which is called smart home choice. And so educating other investors, but also educating myself and let people uh, see who I was. And I just made myself very vulnerable, knowing that, hey, I didn't know a whole lot about this, but this is a journey that I'm going to take. And if you want to come along with me, um, I'm more than happy to share what I'm learning and, uh, and teach you about financial education and the importance of um, you know, having assets in your portfolio.
0: It's interesting that you took that approach. And I think more people need to do that, right? Don't, don't act like you know everything right off the bat. Just say, hey, come along for the journey. I'll share what I'm learning with you. And I think that's a great approach to get going. And I think a lot of people, like just on the social media front, they don't want to share early on because they're like, well, what can I add? You know, what can I do? Right? But there's so much you can add. For sure. And
1: just listen, and there's things that I should probably even know today that I don't. Uh, and, and so I think it's just a matter of just kind of just being vulnerable. There's certain things that I'm good at and that, and that I know very well. and There's other things that I'm open to mm-hmm. to learning about. And I think that's probably why I enjoy the podcast. I get to sit down and talk to people that are very knowledgeable and learn from them and uh, listen to things that make sense and, and apply it to my life and other things that may not, um, you know, even if I may not agree with it, it, doesn't mean I don't have to respect that person. Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's, well, there's so much we can learn, right? Just from even a different style of thinking. Like just you might think about a situation differently from me. So if I hear you explain it, I'd be like, wow, never thought of it that way. You know, And if I apply that thinking, maybe I'll do a deal that I wouldn't have. Or you know, no matter, how, no matter where we're, we're at, I think it's so important that we're, we're continuing to learn. So um, I just thought I'd point that out about what you were saying. I think that's great that, that you started that way. That's obviously a long time ago now, right? You've been at this quite some time. Um, so, just for some context, um, what's a snapshot of your of your portfolio look like right now?
1: Yeah, so when I first started, um, and and so prior to starting the club, uh, I, I, the first investment property that I bought in 2008 was a uh, a, a two unit or a BRR. I mean, I didn't know what a burr was back in 2008, but everybody, I think, for the most part now that have invested in real estate know what it is. Um, right. And uh, and I and so the first two properties I bought were duplexes or two units. Okay. And uh, just made a complete mess of the second one. Didn't know what I was doing. Had no idea how to screen tenants. And uh, and then I had to take a step back. And probably one of the best things that I ever did was I joined a, a real estate investment club. And uh, just learned about real estate investing from other people that were that were doing it, as opposed to trying to learn from people at work. Because I initially I wanted to learn and get into it earlier, and back in two thousand and one. Uh, and you know, talking to a friend at work, he was just like, "Yeah, don't do it. It's too it's too risky. You're going to lose everything." Um, but anyway, so from there step back, got into rent to own, love that type of investing. Um, Once I got really good at it, um, I then revisited the two unit investing and uh, realized that, you know, that, you know, was a great way to build a portfolio as well, too, because, um, you know, if one tenant left, I still had somebody else in there. And, uh, and I also have a mix of the single family homes and that's kind of where I've stopped. And now I've kind of stepped back now. I've kind of released a couple of my pro- properties and now I'm going into, um, private lending. So portfolio wise at one point in time, I'd own maybe close to, you know, 30 properties and down to maybe about fourteen, fifty now. And, and I'm comfortable with that.
0: That's a, that's a good solid number. Um, you know, a lot of people are, are striving to that. I'm I'm not at 14. So yeah, you're, you're killing it. That's a, uh, that's amazing. And, exactly. um. Whereabouts are your properties? Um, they are in mostly in the Durham region.
1: So I've got Durham. Um, okay. I've got uh, a few out in Peterborough. Um, I'd gone out to Barrie, um, and uh, I actually had one out in Kitchener. And mm-hmm. what I realized when I was starting to expand in some of those different markets was that um, – I wasn't really an expert in those areas. So so I live out in Ajax. And uh, and I think it really helps when you are familiar with the city that you're investing in. I'm not knocking, you know, investing in other markets. It's just um, Mm -hmm. because my market was so good. I was like, you know what, let me just stay here. There's lots of phenomenal diamonds out here that I can find. And so... Um, I love the Durham market, uh, but we do a lot out in Peterborough right now. i say probably 90% of our business is up in Peterborough, and there's still lots of room for growth up there. They just put the, uh, the 4-7 right along the top of the Durham region, and that allows um, a lot of families to be able to commute back into the city yeah. uh, instead of going the other way and and fighting that 4-1 traffic out to Mississauga or Oakville,
0: right? So, um yeah. And the rents
1: are great. The prices are good. It just makes sense.
0: Yes. So you're in Ajax. Most of your portfolio is there, you're saying, or between there and Port, uh, Peterborough? Between there and Peterborough. So okay, Curtis, do have, Bowmanville. Do you still
1: have the Kitchener one or Stockton no, Berry? No, we got rid of the Kitchener one and we just got rid of the Barry one uh, this year. So last year we started... Um, 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 get rid of a few of our properties just because we were moving into another area. And, and I think it's really important where you, you take a look at, cause look, there was a time when we were thinking about going down the, um, the apartment route. And so me and my wife, we went and took some courses on it and, uh, because it just felt like it was the right thing to do because everybody else is doing it, right? Like you go single family, then you go to the two, unit, then you go to triplex, and then mm-hmm. you go to the, you know, 10 units and then you got to go to the apartments. And so that's what we thought that was the next step. And, you know went out I don't know if you know um Casey Wong so went out with him and checked out a few of his uh apartments that he's got out there and um I remember we came home and we're like I don't know. Just, it just doesn't, there's something not kind of sitting right with me. And again, not to knock it, it just wasn't our, it wasn't suiting the lifestyle that we were trying to do and trying to create. And uh, and I was really enjoying the podcast. And there was a couple of the things that I wanted to do. And then uh, we stepped back, talked to one of my early mentors that helped me get into real estate investing. He's like, you know what? Why don't you maybe take a look at the private lending space? You know, like how many more homes do you really need? How many more? How, how many, why do you need 100? doors or 200 doors and i step back and me and my wife looked at each other and we're like you know what yeah we don't we don't need that many doors it's just we don't need to you know and so i think it's important and where you sit down and you write down your girls write down what's important to you and then you work in that space and that's what we did and so that's when we ended up offloading a few of our properties and, and, and yeah. moved in that direction
0: And I've actually thought about that too, as a longer term strategy, you know, get to a certain point liquidate that, you know, just put it into private lending, which is much more hands off. Granted, nothing's Mm -hmm. truly hands off. I mean, even private lending, you have to be uh, very diligent about your approach. Otherwise, you're going to be taking back properties and having fun with that. Exactly. Um, yeah. For those who don't know, private lending is just when you're you're acting as the bank. You're you're the person writing the loan, and somebody else is paying you interest. You can do it just like the bank. We don't talk about that much on this. We usually talk about borrowing money. Um, right. Lots of private lending to borrow, but uh, yeah, I've actually done both, but in, in smaller amounts on the on the lend side. Okay. Um, okay. I've got some uh, some questions for you. So you got up to thirty properties currently at fourteen. How did you get to so many? Obviously, we know the banks are usually capping people out at five to ten. Of course, you were doing this starting back a little, you know, a little while ago. Uh, Did you get into joint ventures to make that happen? And do you still have some of those? Yep. And and that's, that's exactly what I did. I think, Mm -hmm. um, you know, people
1: think that you need money to make money. I know there was a time in my life as well too, where I was like, man, I want to get into real estate investing, but I just, I don't have the money. I don't know how to do it. And, um, I think the most important thing is to number one, educate yourself. Number two, understand that, uh, you can leverage and use either other people's money, creating win-win scenarios, um, or you can use the bank's money. And, and that's what I had to do. One of the best books I ever read um, was um, uh, by Stefan Arnio. Um, and I know he's no longer with us. And uh, he was a phenomenal teacher. I learned a lot from him. We were really good friends. And uh, it was Money, People, Deal. Yeah. And that one really changed, uh, I would say, the way that I looked at uh, structuring deals together and and realizing that the money wasn't the most important piece of it. It was the actual deal. And so I got really good at finding really good deals um, and then putting that together and then finding, um, you know, my partners that wanted to partner with me and creating uh, something that was going to produce them a better return on what they were getting with the RSPs or with a mutual fund and mm-hmm. and really showing them the importance of trying to outpace inflation. And not only just outpacing inflation, but showing them the real numbers of inflation. Because see, people yeah. think that inflation is really doing this, this number that they're showing is 2 or 3%, which is bullshit.
0: Total, yeah, i do not taking if podcast Or not, but
1: <laughs> yeah. it's a yeah, yeah, it's 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 garbage, right? And yeah. um, and and so that was really what I wanted to help and show people. And so by doing that, that's what I did. I, I learned how to use and leverage other people's money.
0: Yeah, and so a couple of interesting things you, you you pointed out there. I mean, Stephen Arnio's book, uh, Money People Deal. I I think I've pretty much read or almost through all of his books at this point. Um, that one, I'm trying to remember the, the three things to bring to a deal. I mean, in my simple logic is, um, if you have, and I've said this and I know some people would argue with me, if you have a really, uh, really great deal, the money will come, right? Because if you have a really great deal, you will be enthusiastic. And if you have the competence and the good deal, then the money is the other element you need. Stefan has a different way of putting that. Do you remember what it is or is that roughly what he, uh, what he had said? Uh, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's taught so many different things and great,
1: great, great lessons. I I don't, I don't recall, but I know, but but I mean, just to add to what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, It it wasn't so much that I was selling the deal. Mm -hmm. I was selling the dream. I was selling right. the uh, what was gonna what was what was I th- gonna do for them being able mm-hmm. to maybe take more vacations or to now maybe have enough cash flow coming in to make payments for for their car right. that they wanted to get. So that's what I was doing, and so when I brought that passion, mm-hmm. um, you know, that is where they actually saw the vision. Because look, a lot of times people think that you gotta actually have to sit down and show them the deal. A lot of times I was more selling that lifestyle. And then at yes. the end of the meeting, I would say, hey, look, here's a deal that he just recently did. Take it home. Check it out. See if you like it. Uh, but not explain
0: the numbers to them. Right, right. Right. Because they were investing in me, not the actual property. That's, uh, that's like fantastic advice. And I know my uh, my good friend, he, uh, he actually gets a lot of people, uh, private lenders, in doing it exactly that way. He'll sit down with them, find out what it is that they want, and then he'll help them get it. And one of the mm-hmm. ways he helps them get it is through la- allowing them to invest with him. So to find out, right. you know, the guy wants to own a Harley Davidson. Well, he'll work out the numbers. Okay. What's that cost? Okay. What's a payment on that thing cost? And he'll work out how much money they would have to borrow on their line of credit and lend to him, uh, to create that amount of income. He's like, how'd you like it? If I showed you a way to get that for free, they're like, oh, are you kidding me? Of course, of course <laughs> we'd want that. He's like, great here's what we have to do. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and that's how he got his deals done. And, and I think the beautiful thing is, is, there's so many different ways that you can sell, sell that dream as you put it. Um, when you're, when you're you know, talking to a potential partner or somebody that's reached out to you that, that wants to be a partner. It's all of, like, again, if you don't believe in it as the person selling it, no one's gonna, no one's gonna want it. Right. But if you do, then, uh, then there you go. Yeah, exactly. Right. Listen, at the end of the day, people think that
1: I, I love real estate investing real estate investing is boring. Like there's nothing exciting about it. It's bricks, it's mortar, it's, it's a roof. Dry. Like there's nothing exciting about it. It's the lifestyle. That's why I'm doing it. It's what it allows me to be able to do to be able to take trips. Well, when we used to be able to take trips whenever I wanted to, <laughs> you know, be able to get a cottage and take and, and yeah. the summers off and, and enjoy it with my friends and family. That is what real estate investing does. Mm-hmm. It's outpacing inflation.
0: Yeah. Okay. So we're going to come back to that inflation note. I'm going to, cause yeah. I know I've heard you had some thoughts on some things and I have some similar thoughts. So we're going to, we're going to dig in. Yeah. Um, All right. Cool. Tell me about the, the lifestyle. What's a day in the life for you? A day in the
1: life. Um, mm-hmm. like from the time that I wake up, time that I wake up, um, geez, the very first thing that I do is I roll out of bed. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and I do about a two minute workout. So I'll do uh, some crunches. I'll do some sit-ups just to get the blood flowing, and uh, and, and I find that really helps just to kind of get my mind awake. Then I'll, I'll pop into my office. This is usually around 7 o'clock in the morning, and uh, before I even open up my emails or go through anything is I sit down, and I will go through my agenda, and I'll take a look at my whiteboard. So I've got my whiteboard in my office, mm-hmm. and uh, my whiteboard is tied very closely to what I have to work on for the week. Because those are my goals for the year. I, I don't have my five-year goals on there. But I'll put that down, put it away, because I think that's too lofty. But if you can work on just a one-year goal and then put down the month of months like when you want to achieve it and then work on your agenda. So then now what I'm doing is I'm designing my day. I'm not concerned with any emails that come in because those are just tasks from other people. I'm not saying they're not important. However, it's not part of my design. And so I design my day. I figure out what my day is going to look like. Um, and then I will scan through the emails really quickly just in case there's anything urgent there, maybe a deal that I'm working on or whatever. And then I go downstairs, uh, I'll have a coffee, have a cup of tea, and either watch something educational. For half hour, forty minutes, or get maybe just kind of caught up in the news, uh, then uh, I come back up, and then i 'll actually start working on the things that I actually have in my agenda for that day. I usually don 't even touch any emails until around ten ten thirty because I just don 't want it to take away from the life and the design and the dreams that i 'm working towards. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, right. big difference there is reacting versus being intentional, right? When you get emails, you're, you have to react to them, right? Whereas if you are starting your day off, I like that. You're kind of creating it. Exactly. Um, rather than la- allowing other people to control your day. And I actually. In my daily life, that's what I aim to get rid of is when people have a dependence on, dependency on me and responses from me and need answers from me. I like to mm-hmm. eliminate that and create a system. Like if I have one of my employees tackle it now, no, 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 you, you take care of that. <laughs> right. Because I'd rather and, and, be intentional.
1: Right. Exactly. Because yeah. then what'll end up happening too is a way that people send you emails is like, Hey, uh, Andrea, look, I, I know you're incredibly busy. So now they know that you're busy because you're not responding back and forth with them all day long. Mm-hmm. Again, Unless it's something that you're obviously working on or it's important, yeah. yes, I get, I get, and I understand that. But uh, I really try to pull myself out of that, and it's hard. It's not easy. It's taken me years to be able to achieve that, um, right. because uh, in the beginning, you know you you want to take every single email that comes in and every because that's part of your business that you're growing, right? But once you get to the point where you you don't have to be reactive, it, it's a, such a better place
0: to be. Absolutely. Um, do you mind telling me a little bit about some struggles you've had along the way? Cause you started off as a guy kind of sharing your journey. Um, didn't know much. And now you obviously know a lot and you're very experienced. Um, mm-hmm. talk to me about kind of some of the trials and tribulations that happened there. Was there anything significant that happened to you that like shaped, shaped the way you are as an investor? Yeah, some of the struggles that I had,
1: oh, man, I hated public speaking. I still do. I hate public speaking. I hate. Uh, I love doing podcasts, but there are times that I do get nervous, depending on the guests and the, the the people that I have on this show. And so I've had to build on that. I've had to work at that. And uh, and I think people think that sometimes that it's like, oh man, you make it look so easy, or, or you're just gifted at this. And I think what people have to understand is that I think people's true gifts are they don't rely on, they don't lie on the surface. They're actually embedded in you and you actually have to chisel and get it out. And I think that's part of the enjoyment of the journey of digging deep, finding your true passion and knowing that it doesn't come easy. See, people think just everything just comes easy. And I, and I think that's false because then once it's not, then you're like, Oh, well, this is not my, this is not my gift. And I think if your gift is so easy well, then everybody would be able to just have this phenomenal life. And I think that's the journey, the, the, the enjoyment of the journey is finding that gift that's buried inside you.
0: Interesting. I hadn't heard it put that way, but I like that quote. That's almost like something somebody should put on their Instagram wall. Uh, True gifts are yeah. embedded in us and you have to chisel them out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something yeah. Something along those lines. <laughs> All right,
1: we'll put Gary here right there. How about you, can, that? <laughs> you can send me the official quote. Yeah. We'll,
0: uh, yeah. we'll
1: use it for a teaser. <laughs> And so those were my struggles in the beginning, you know, being in that public spotlight, um, you know, people looking to me to, for help and for guidance and, you know, not maybe always believing in myself and, you know, who am I to really help all these investors and, you know, am I doing the right thing? Is now the right time to invest? So I think it's just always questioning yourself. Are you doing the right thing or you're leading people in the right direction? I think those
0: would be the okay. biggest you know, struggles I've had. So that's, that's the big thing that kind of weighs on you is, is, is your impact on others at this point. It, it, it was. Now okay. I'm more comfortable
1: with it. Now I, I, I'm just more of a beacon because before it was more like, I'm going to help everybody. And you realize that, well, you can't. And so now I'm just more comfortable being a beacon and whoever wants to come along on that journey with me or to learn from me, then I'm more than happy to help them.
0: And how do you do that? Or is it, uh, people that are JV partners with you or is it people that you coach or
1: how, how do you Yeah, it around? would be more along. Um, I think through the podcast is number one and through the education there, mm-hmm. um, helping them get into real estate investing. I don't mm-hmm. really do a whole lot of JVs anymore. Um, but I will help them and pair them up with, uh, our, our other club mm-hmm. members that we have if, if that's what they're looking for. Um, and, uh, webinars and, uh, whatever type of investment that they want to get into. We're, we're really, what I've done is just created like an education company.
0: Right. Okay. Do you have a, do you have a name for your, your like, smart home it... choice? Oh yeah. So, yeah. So smart home choice.
1: Yeah. So, so, it's so a, yeah, essentially it's just like a one-stop shop. It's everything that you okay. need from the accountants, from the lawyers to, um, okay. you know, the real estate agents, uh, it's, it's, it's all everything that you needed. We have it. Okay. And, uh, when did you start the podcast? The podcast, I started that back, and I think it was around maybe 2015, 2016, somewhere around there. Okay.
0: And well, what made you and do I was, that?
1: Um, what made me do that was it It gave me an opportunity to be able to ask people that I looked up to and admired uh, really tough questions and learn from them. Mm-hmm. And it also, so it was a win-win. It was, I was learning. And I was also giving them a platform to talk about, you know, what they can offer to other people or their business or
0: whatever it may be. Right. That's actually a similar reason why I started this one. It was, you know, two, 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 uh, fold, right. You know, you get the, the information out to people, but it gives me a chance to sit down for an hour with somebody that, you know, sometimes they might not actually take that hour otherwise. So it's really, uh, it's really cool to get that opportunity. It's, it's phenomenal It'd be
1: able to sit down and just ask, questions and learn from some of the top investors or, Mm uh, you know, people who have great coaching or mindset or Mm -hmm. whatever it may be, wherever direction you want to go with your podcast. It's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah.
0: And I would say it's, it's really from what I gather after, you know, I've been an investor for nine years now. Um, yeah it seems to come down to a mindset and a way of thinking more than anything. Like practical knowledge is, is very on the surface kind of as you were talking about, um, with, with, uh, you know, the passions and what you're good at, it's, it's really on the surface. But if you can, if you can glean from somebody, how they think about things, uh, that can be empowering for the rest of your life. That can give you an approach to finding information, um, I, uh, and that, that actually leads me into the, the next question I wanted to ask you is, I'm sure you've developed some some kind of guiding principles along the way, things that guide the way you are as an investor, things you're not willing to budge on. Um, what would some of those things be?
1: Um, in- integrity is one. Um, there's, there's one quote that I learned from Jim Rohn that always sticks with me is, um, help as many people get what they want and you can have every and anything you want. I, I just I heard like, that quote today. <laughs> and I'm like, can it really be that simple? Yeah. And, uh, and, and I, so I lived very closely to that philosophy. And I can mm-hmm. tell you 100%, not even 99.9, 100% it works. Because um, the more that you help other people, um, it, that good stuff just cannot help but come back to you. And then what ends up happening is that you, it's almost like this pipe that you can't even turn off. Mm-hmm. you know it's just it's it's just an abundance of of, of good things that just happen to you i'll give you, give you an example and and look and i think if you just live your life like that it'll change your whole entire life last week i went into um lcbo and i bought some beer and so i came out and i thought it was kind of cheap you know the the price tag after i'd picked up a couple cases there and anyways i looked at the receipt and uh he didn't charge me for two of the cases mm-hmm. and so I told my wife she was in the car because she went to the grocery store and she goes, well, you know what you need to do. And so I actually went back (laughs) and I, and I said, and there was a lineup and I go to the guy in front I go, Hey, listen, I just got to take these. uh, I got to go back in because you guys didn't charge me for these two cases here. And he's like, he looks at me weird. He's like, okay. And so I went in there and it was like two or three people in there just looked at me really weird. I was like, wow, that's Mm -hmm. incredible. You actually came back. You could have just left and not have to worry about paying for this, but it's just, I know how karma works. I've seen yeah. it works, and it usually comes back ten times, you know, harder than uh, if yeah. you just do the right thing. And so, I'm old enough now to realize and understand that.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd say I learned that one too. Yeah, when I was younger, I never thought like that. But as you know, as I got older, I very much can resonate with with that approach. Yeah. Um, any other sort of like guiding principles, real estate specific, like more thinking, some of your specific technical approaches, and uh-huh. like I'm a cash flow guy. Like I, I've got to have it, and I, I could go down that that road. But um, yep. you know, are there, are there some things that you've got to have in a deal? Like what makes a deal nice to you that you want to do? Yeah, it's uh for me it's it's cash flow.
1: I think that's mm-hmm. always been the guiding principle if you look wanna look at it from a technical standpoint. And uh and one of the things that I learned early on is that um you know, if you take a look at a cake, the cake itself is the cash flow and the icing on top is the appreciation. And that's mm-hmm. the sweet stuff. And so then now if you live by that technical principle well then you never buy anything based on appreciation and so i don't really care about appreciation i will take it when i can but i do it for the cash flow Mm -hmm. Uh, and and so that's one of the things that i will I, i won't bend on for any of my investors unless they're comfortable Mm-hmm. Buying a property that doesn 't cash flow, but for any of our classes that we teach is always cash flow based and so that 's one of the reasons why when we were invested in Durham, we then when homes started going up like ten thousand dollars a week i don 't know if you remember that back in early two thousand and seventeen the market just went crazy. we literally took our whole entire business and moved to peterborough and then before. We we made any of our investors buy any properties out there. We bought a property out there first. We screened the tenants first to see what was happening there. Then we went to the city and had a conversation with them. So we dove in first before anybody else did. And then once we realized that we had something good here, then we moved our whole entire business up there. So it's always been cash flow. It's always about the numbers um, and uh, and making sure that uh, it's it's something that makes sense.
0: Okay, and I'll, we're going to dig into some of the specific numbers, um, just sort of back back at the envelope style, but uh, economically, like what do you look for you know what when you went into Peterborough, how did you know that that that's a good market for you, not just because there was cash flow but because you saw yeah. longevity like what, what made you believe that it has long term like longevity? Yeah. So there's a couple of different things I'll look at. Number one, I look
1: at vacancy. So vacancies were, were incredibly low out in Peterborough. Number two, I look at uh, infrastructure. Um, uh, so one was at 407. So to me, that's like building like another artery for your heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was huge. Um, number three, population. Uh, increase so the population out there was increasing, which I think is important. Number four job growth, so they had job growth out there. What um, kind of industries know, uh, do
0: they have up there? I know they have a couple
1: schools, right? Yeah, so they got the schools, so it's always about following your eds and your meds, right? So, education, so they got Trent University out there, and they've also got um, um, what's the other one there? Uh, there's Trent. And, uh, it was the college, God, there, the right? college, Fleming, yeah. Fleming, Fleming yeah, yeah, they got Fleming, they got the hospital out there, uh, fairly large hospital as well Too a lot of doctors mm-hmm. and nurses out there. Uh, they just opened up a casino out there as well, too. Mm-hmm. So, um, so those are the main things that I really kind of take a look at It's the fundamentals, which are, I think, incredibly important before you just jump into a
0: market. Yeah. It's yeah. Right. I couldn't agree more. I mean, i for yeah. me, I'm, I trying to, uh, to figure out you know if the worst happens like i'm in student rentals so if for some reason people shift away from student rentals how am i hedged against that you know can my my properties be repurposed what other industries are are supporting and as much as i like student rentals if i were to go to a city that only had a school then I right. might actually feel uh, pretty exposed and vulnerable of what Gary Vee predicts ever comes true. And, you know, people shift away from going to school. Not that I think that that would happen overnight, but, uh, you know, it is something that could happen in the long run, that there could be a slight shift away from, from school. Yeah. And, and you should be looking at what are some of the worst case scenarios that could potentially happen, mm-hmm. right?
1: I mean, it's just like that ant philosophy, right? Like ants think winter all summer. And then when winter comes, they think summer, all winter. Yeah. So that's what you want to do. So while it's, it's, it's hot and it's warm and things are going great, what can happen down the road? And I mean, here's a great example that we're living through right now, COVID-19, where I think you're going to see a lot of speculative investors potentially um, get themselves in trouble, right? Where yeah. they thought that the market can never turn or, yeah. um, or um, you know, it, 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 things are just going to always keep going up and up
0: well absolutely and and it 's happening so my wife 's got a place in in uh, Toronto that she bought for five ten back in the day, and its value has gone up as high as probably like nine hundred or eight eighty or so um, mm-hmm. and she 's done incredibly well and she has it rented for for thirty seven hundred she 's had it rented for four thousand as a furnished rental condo. And right. uh, now the market seems to be, and uh, you know, maybe she'll be able to get 3000 maybe maybe only $2,700. Um, so we're talking about a $1,000 decrease in cash flow. Um, what does that do to somebody? I mean, she has a bit of a margin there, but what does that do to somebody who bought on spec? They were already negative cash flow, like 100 bucks, which in reality right. is probably more like $300. Um, right. And then all of a sudden you drop your rents at $1,000. bucks. is going to break people. And uh, the people who who came and asked me, and there were many, uh, you know, hey, Andrew, I'm looking at this this neighborhood in Toronto, I'm looking at this, I'm like, how's your cash flow? And the answer was, oh, well, you know, the area is really appreciating. I'm like, well, you have no plan B what happens if plan a doesn't work out what happens if the market doesn't go up and um the speculation is exactly what you're pointing out and i had to get burned it seems like you you kind of escaped getting burned really badly i had to get burned many times to learn my lesson to not do things like that uh, right. and you know there came a point just like you where you saw stuff going up in value so much in, in uh, ajax that you're like mm, no it's not going to work here anymore we gotta have, we gotta have our cash flow uh, the same thing happened to me in London. And I'm like, okay, hitting the brakes for a second. I'm you know, I'm not until I find a market that I'm equally comfortable with uh economically and has the cash flow, I'm gonna hit pause. And uh that's sort of the moment, you know, I've been in that little place for like the last year. And then of course this COVID thing happened. Right. So and, and,
1: and, yeah, and you know what it was though in the beginning. Yeah. So from I would say around two thousand nine to for about five six years, and still now. Mm-hmm. But I mean, man, I was big on the, the education piece of it. Yeah, I was driving to Oakville. I was going to the Rain meetings. I was going to the Rockstar meetings. I was going yeah. to every meeting Smart. possible to get just the fundamentals. And even though I would I would leave, and I'm like. <sighs> I knew 98% of everything they talked about tonight, but it was that new 2%. I'm like ah, that's new. That's a good new fundamental. And it just kept layering and layering. And look, here's a big difference between between the ones that are really good and sharp is that once, I think a lot of investors, they can get to that 80% pretty quickly Mm -hmm. of knowing, you know, a specific type of investing strategy. But it's that 81%, 81 81.5%, 81.7%. That takes time, that takes years, and that takes continual education
0: and learning. Yeah, that's a very interesting point you're making. And and I, if, if there was something I were to change rather than say, I would change my mistakes, cause that's sort of obvious, but they also shape me. It would be to, to go to those events. Like I never bought bought the rain membership. I should have, you know, I, I didn't even know about rockstar. I, you know, had I known back then I would have, you know, right. my network would have been bigger. I would have been way further along and probably could have avoided very very painful mistakes. So <laughs> right. I, mistakes and mentors—the two ways uh, people learn, right? So um, yeah, you really absolutely. just gotta pick it. Um, okay, so let's dig into uh, to some cash flow then. So I, I take it you're not really in the buy mode right now. You've been more in the sell mode. Uh, to, to I kinda, have, but yeah, t- so talk to in me about mode and then now I'm in a st- in, in a stability mode, right? Stability, now. So yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I like yeah, that too, because you don't need to just grow for the sake of growing. It has to fit with your goals. What are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? And if, if you don't need to grow to accomplish that, then enjoy life. Do it. Do it. You know. I think we're always going to grow in some way, uh, but right. it doesn't necessarily mean need to be number of doors. Um, exactly. Okay, so let's talk about a deal that you've done. Like, Were you mostly a burr guy or, or was it... Uh, my favorite
1: strategy, I'll be honest with you, was rent-to-own. Okay, I loved rent-to-own. That was kind of the whole premise of when we started Smart Home Choice was that it was um, be an investor, not a landlord. And so okay. we taught a lot of our investors to, you know, what we were doing with rent to own and, and then we would partner with them, but we didn't always partner with them. If they wanted to, great. If mm-hmm. not, that was fine as well too. Um, in regards to cash, flow, uh, for like a rent to own deal, we were seeing anywhere from three $300 a month to as high as seven, $800 a month. Okay. So that, so that norm kind of being that five to six is kind of what we're, where we were. Um, okay. in regards to a burr, you're, you're probably, I would say again, on the low end, anywhere from $300 a month, we've had it as high as
0: 1200. Nice. right? Yeah. So, okay. So what, it, like what's in your portfolio now? Are, are some right to own still in your portfolio? um we have right now i think i got one rent to own in my portfolio um
1: some of those rent to owns what ended up happening was um they weren't able to buy out so then Mm -hmm. they just became uh long term single family rentals um with with those those tenants still in there and um and we've always said that if anytime they were ready to leave we would always give them back their down payment now, we didn't say that in the beginning, obviously, because it was always told that you would forfeit it. Yeah. But I'm just not in that business, again, of right. uh, taking their hard-earned money. The credits, yeah, I get it. I, I, we're not going to return those. But if they put down a deposit of 10000 and they decided to leave, we would give them back their 10000
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah. It's, yeah. That's, that's just
0: something that we right.
1: discussed and my partners
0: have, are fine with it as well, too. Well, it's certainly an, a nice thing to do. Uh, at the end of the day, you want them to be successful. And I've had a couple of people talk about rent to own on here. And it's not a good feeling when at the end of the day, they can't buy and I've, I've it seen it and it's some very angry, uh, you know, angry words exchanged and, and, you know, people aren't going to be happy when, when that happens. So yeah, certainly if you're giving them the money back to, to go away, I'm sure that, that, uh, that helps that, that parting ways a little bit.
1: For sure. Right. And, um, and again, obviously you're taking a look at the deal itself, you know, is it property under, is it above, is it, you know, how, what was that relationship like? Mm-hmm. But I, I would say, you know, um, In almost most cases, if not all, we always return the deposit once they left. Mm -hmm. Especially if your home's gone up sixty, seventy, eighty. Well, that's the big thing, right? If you're already
0: winning on it, yeah, it's a nicer thing. Especially if they can't, they're kind of gifting you all the equity that's in the house that uh, that they're not going to be able to buy now. Right? Yeah, Yeah. uh, that makes sense. So, what would your typical term be? Uh, Three years. So usually a three three year term. Yeah. Okay. So give me one that you you bought. What was the price point you bought one at? Um so there was one that we what that completed successfully, sure, yeah, give me one that completed successfully
1: yeah, so there was one that we had bought, I think it was maybe around three forty somewhere around there uh, a few years ago and Ajax? Buyout, uh, no, it was in Oshawa, okay, uh, the buyout price let's say was approximately i think it was maybe three hundred ninety um, and um and they were able to um purchase the property. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to take a look at in regards to, and I think this is important to talk about. And again, I don't do a lot of rent to owns today. I still mm-hmm. do a couple that come through because we still have a rent to own business. So we still have, uh, uh, clients that trickle in. Yeah. Um, but, um, from what I've seen and the many years that I've done it, I would say we see about a 60% success rate, 40% mm-hmm. failure rate, um, and it's it's not that rent to own doesn't work mm-hmm. the hard part is changing the family's habits yeah. They're the way that they um they spend money. It's it's just it's, it's it's difficult to sometimes change it. Some of them are able to, depending on what happened, yeah. if it was just a quick slip or something like that. But sometimes, you know, I think that's where the difficulty lies is this that they weren't able to change their habits, um, which is unfortunate. Yeah. But but the program works one hundred percent. I know that for sure because we've absolutely we've seen yeah. many successful rent to own clients. Yep.
0: And I've, I've helped people get into them and I helped, uh, I helped a couple, uh, buy out. I've seen, you know, I haven't done that many in terms of helping people, but I helped uh, a couple get into one and then eventually like four years later, uh, buy that property and they fixed their credit, but it didn't come without, struggles like they you know at the at the two and a half year mark they contact me and say hey we want to start getting a mortgage and i didn't pull their credit i'm like but you didn't fix any of those things you were supposed to fix right (laughs) so now they okay well we got to get this collection account paid we got to do this this and this and it doesn't come until until they realize oh crap i'm about to lose my deposit if i don't do something here um then uh, then they actually change so um, I think a lot of people, the, the challenge with rental own that I've seen and, and why I've, I've stressed this, I really do think that they need to have some sort of credit mentoring built into the program. Like, you're, you're going to have to do this because we want you to succeed. Um, and uh, if, if, you know, because they won't, they won't change, right? It, it'll take until the you know, in the final hour that, uh, that they'll actually finally say, oh, okay, now we need to do something. And then sometimes the advice back is, well, you know, you need two years to recover after you fix this. So, you right. fix it and then wait two years. You don't have that time anymore. Okay, well, now where are you? So, right. it's, it's a tricky thing. But, yeah, it's so um, interesting to, to hear your perspective. I think 60% success rate actually sounds um, still pretty solid. Uh, yeah. That it's hard to change people's uh, patterns and habits. Yeah. And, uh, and one of the things I think
1: that helped us kind of get to, I think, maybe that number, that a number maybe, it'd, it'd be nice to see what the industry. Standard or percentages is, is probably is maybe a little bit lower than that. It might be more fifty fifty. Um, but my wife was a mortgage agent, and mm-hmm. uh, so we we actually what we did was we said, hey, look, we will help you restore your credit for free, and we'll do yearly checkups with you. Yeah. And the reason why she was willing to do that was because then she would also help and, and write the mortgage at the end as well yeah. too. So there was a bit of a, you know an incentive
0: as well. Yeah, that's that's what I, I would do with clients too. Yeah, so I on the sure. mortgage side I'd say, well, you know, this you're not going to be able to get a mortgage, but you know, there are investors that will do a rent to own for you and then on the back end I'd be able to uh to help them out of it too. So um yeah, exactly. what, on that one that you bought for 340, um what did you end up um making on cash flow per month? On that one, it was
1: around 650, somewhere around there. And then the ROI, yeah. when we were done, we were probably sitting in at around 34,
0: 35%. Okay, I'm currently. just going to break down those numbers as my back of the envelope sort of calculation. So if your cash flow was about 23400 over the course of three years, now a portion yep. of that would have been a credit to them. Like how much Correct. credit were they ac- accumulating? Uh, $200 a month so they, so 200 times 36 months. So they were getting a, a 37,000. So you, you were, uh, upside on the sale. Uh, you had 39,000 sale less the 34,000. So you had a $50,000 upside on the sale and then upside on cash. Uh, you had, um, so 23,400 less the $7,200 credit you had to give them and um, I'm trying to think, would you have had, you also would have had mortgage pay down. We'll get into your mortgage. Yeah. So you would have done an 80% mortgage on that, right? Correct. Yeah. So the uh, mortgage at 80% would have been times 0.8. So about 272 and a pay down of say 3% on that mortgage on a yearly basis. So times 0.03 times three, uh, would have been about $24,000 in pay down. So the total return on there. Well, actually, you would have had some legal fees. So, what, what do you figure your legals and transactional fees on that deal were? Uh, legal fees. Uh, well, you only have legal fees on the on the front, right? I uh, know you We're have the back a small, well the yeah, back yeah. Guy, you got yeah. the back
1: as well too. So legal fees, I don't know. You're probably maybe looking at around, call it twenty five hundred bucks
0: front and back. So twenty five hundred, yeah, nothing even that significant. So these are this. You're about to see. Well, people listening and watching, are about to see why this is so significant. So fifty thousand dollars upside on the sale value, less yep. or sorry, plus the upside on the cash flow sixteen thousand two hundred, and then plus the pay down on the mortgage twenty four thousand or so. These numbers could be off a bit, um, but it, you know, just ballpark minus yep. the twenty five hundred dollars in. uh, in uh, legals, so about eighty-eight thousand dollars return, give or take. I'm sure I'm yeah. off a bit. Yeah, uh, somewhere around there. And then, so if we figure the down payment, so if you were a two two hundred seventy-two thousand dollars mortgage, your down payment on that deal would have been um, sixty-eight thousand. So the return on investment over the course of three years is one hundred twenty-nine percent. That's uh, that's not too bad. Well, if we we can divide that by three, if we want to. Get that into yeah. Divide it by three. Yeah, once I get it down to so that's uh, that's forty three percent, but that's not adjusting for compounding. So if you you know bring it down, it'd be into the thirties as a compound interest equivalent. Right, and then uh, now if you do it with a joint venture, obviously you're splitting that again.
1: But but you have zero investment. You're, but if you don't put anything in, then you're infinity. <laughs> yeah, your infinity return. Infinity your
0: return. I, I like the infinity return deals, and 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 depending on your goals, right? Everyone has different goals. Like some people who right. want to grow fast you're going to have to get the zero down deals. You're going to have to find a way to be zero in because otherwise you can't grow. Um, right. If you don't mind growing slow, I've had other people on this podcast where they were just slow and steady. Things went up. They refinanced them. They bought more and it just kind of compounds as the market goes up. It all really comes back to, as we said, your goals and what you're trying to do. Absolutely. Uh, and, and you know what the interesting thing is? So when you, and, and this is
1: actually kind of cool. I never actually gone through an actual transaction like that before. So that's good that you do that for your, for your audience and your followers mm-hmm. is that, I remember when I used to look at some of these numbers, and then we would do some of these classes, and uh, and we would show them the numbers, and people would like whatever, and they would actually walk out, and we were like, hold on a second, we got to dumb these numbers down, like mm-hmm. we got to we got to like under promise heavy, yeah. because it's just when they're so used to seeing five, six, seven, eight percent. Then yeah. they all of a sudden start seeing like 35%, 40%. They're like, this is not real. Right. Yeah. You know? And, and, and then afterwards, when they take a look at like, hey, Gary, you said we were only going to get like 20%. I'm like, well, yeah. Would you believe it if I told you 35 40%? <laughs> this is more for newbie investors. Yeah. Obviously, yeah, once absolutely. you've been in it for a while, you get to see and you understand, okay, hold on a second. These numbers are way higher.
0: Right. And I think the beautiful thing is, is, is you can always relate it to people, uh, in a way that, that they should be able to grasp. And that's that, you know, this is a more sophisticated investment. And because we took the time to understand it, we can achieve higher results. Uh, the average person could, couldn't do this successfully. Like even you doing it well is 60% success rate. Um, now granted the buyer, the buyout success rate, the tenant buyer's success is not your success. You're successful either way, as long as the market goes up, uh, or even stays the same. But, um, you know so i think i think people get that and and you say look you know you want completely passive you go into a gic and you get 1% if you right. want very active you can own a property and earn even more than this but you know if we want to if we want to do it this way we're somewhere in the middle
1: right and so now when we teach the one class that we do we do this one every single month which is our fast start training class and what we do is we actually go through all the numbers what we do a burr and uh, and obviously we really kind of you know break down the numbers and we we do is we actually make them go through it and we yeah. do it line by line what the down yeah. payment is what's the land transfer tax we go through every single line and then when they're done they come with the ROI so they can see it mm-hmm. and uh, and it's just eye opening for them when they Absolutely. see this stuff like holy crows. and so we do that because. I think most people make the mistake in the beginning by not understanding the numbers. It's, it's yeah. about the numbers. If you don't understand the numbers, then you shouldn't just be jumping into an yeah. investment
0: property. And, and I'll say this from experience when I, when I was teaching at Western, um, I would, you know, I'd have an income statement up and I'd be going through the numbers and, and oh. when I was learning how to teach it, they would, you know, in my training, the pe- people you know instructing me would say, make sure you explain what each line item is. Like make sure you really help them give them examples, like show them, like help them picture it. And I think some people just see numbers on a spreadsheet and they don't really relate it into something real. Like, say, right. what, what is this thing? You know, when you see utilities, oh, okay, well, that's Union Gas or, you know, Enbridge or whoever your, your supplier is. Um, you know, just kind of making all those numbers relatable. Okay, why do we have mortgage paydown on here? What is that? Like, why is right. that here? And that's one of the more complex ones. Some people ask me, like, why would you include mortgage paydown? on?" well, that's our money. We're going to get it back when we sell the property. We're paying off the mortgage, the debt we have. Yeah, um, exactly. So just the digging into each individual number. So I'd like that, that you give them a chance, let them come up with it, let them ration their, rationalize their way through it. Um, right. That's a really valuable exercise that I would encourage. Anyone right. listening to the podcast right now, I, I'm sure you have a, a sheet available. I have a sheet available on my website. If you just go to andrew-hines.com forward slash cashflow. And you can download the cash flow sheet I use and crunch your own numbers, ask yourself critical questions go through each one and and ask, what does this mean? And, Mm -hmm. uh, and also play sensitivity with it. What if that number is higher than I think? What if it's lower? Which ones are, which ones are bound to vary? You know, your vacancy rates bound to vary. Your maintenance is bound to uh, vary year to year. Uh, right. So, anyways, okay. Not to get uh, distracted, Gary, I want you yeah. to school me on your thoughts on what is going on with the world right now. <laughs> so it <laughs> is June second, and okay. uh, and Gary uh, has a lot of wisdom. I've heard it.
1: Yeah. Um, geez, I mean, wh- where do you want to go with this? You know, do you want to touch on, did they do the right thing in shutting things down? Do you want to touch on, you know, the what kind of recovery are we going to have or what, at least what I think? I think both of those things are a good place to start. Yeah. Well, look... um Obviously, I have a concern with and I'm not going to try and downplay the fact that this virus is, isn't is dangerous uh, and, and, and killing people by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, I always just kind of wonder if it was the right thing to do, especially when you start hearing now the suicide rates, what's going up with that, um, the destruction of these businesses and these businesses now that are getting these bailouts. And really, what they're calling them now zombie businesses, because some of these businesses should have already died, and they haven't, and so then now can they survive in this new world, and many of them probably are not going to be, which then are now going to lead to even more job losses and so when you look at the stock market, what kind of a recovery is that that doesn't even look how does that it look if it, you know you look at it like wow it's not even that bad, but if you look at it with some sensible eyes, there's no way that it can sustain that because it's not built on anything. You know what I mean? So think about, the, you know, well, well, I guess a few places, Amazon and Walmart, mm-hmm. but look at all the other things that are the airlines. So then how is the stock market rallying like that? What's yeah. getting pumped into it? If you just think of it, step back and look at it logically. Yeah. So... I don't see how that can sustain itself and, and it's got to come back down. Um, and so obviously I've got some concerns, I think going into, cause it's all about jobs. And if you don't have jobs, then, then what happens to an economy? And so that's my big yep. concern.
0: Okay. Right? And on, now, on that point, I think there's a lot more we can go in, but know, you're going to, you're going to yeah. say something else. Keep, keep going. Um, no. And so I was, um, and so
1: my, the next big concern is, um, the second lockdown, which they've been talking about, and I have a legitimate concern that I think they're going to lock this down again. Outside of whatever the numbers are shown, if you if you kind of really get into the numbers of the people that are dying again, anybody that dies is one too many. Anybody that dies from influenza mm-hmm. is one too many. Car accidents, one to anything It doesn't yeah. matter what it is. But uh, at, at what uh, at what stake do you do you, do you do this at? Is my is the concern
0: that right. I have? Well, we always had influenza. We've had bad years. 2017 was a really bad year for in- influenza, but we did not yeah. tell the population that you're a monster if you don't wear a mask because, because people out there have influenza and you might have it. So you're a monster. You're going to kill people if you don't wear a mask. We as, as human beings, I don't know if I heard you talking about this, but who is it? I heard somebody talking about this, that we're human beings, we're risk takers. We're risk takers by walking out the door in the morning. We're risk takers mm-hmm. by getting into our car, by getting on a train, by getting on a plane. Anything we do, there is an inherent risk. And at some level, we analyzed that risk and decided life is worth living. I'm willing to take the risk because I want to live. I want I right. to live and, and enjoy life. And, and I think that people do need to step back and, and look at the situation and say, do I want the new normal, the normal I'm willing to admit to be, you know, is, is, is a thing, to be people walking around with face masks on? And I I don't get to see somebody smile. I don't get to shake somebody's hand. I'm not having that. I don't agree to that normal. (laughs) Neither do I. Neither
1: do I. There's a really good podcast that I listened to about four years ago. Um, I don't know if you heard of Rich Roll, the Rich Roll podcast.
0: I do do know of Rich Roll, yeah.
1: Yeah, and uh, man, I can't remember the doctor's name. I should should look it up. But anyways, uh, what she was talking about was called um, Live Dirty, Eat Clean. And, and and I'm going to continue. And after I heard that podcast, I thought it was brilliant. And I'm going to continue mm-hmm. to live like that. And so essentially what she's saying is get the viruses into your body. Mm-hmm. We are 70, 80 percent virus, fungus and bacteria. The other 20 percent or 25 percent is human cells. So yeah. we are a virus already. And so if you look at kids, there's a main reason why these, most kids have not been impacted by this, because they're always putting their hands in their mouth. Yeah. They're getting the viruses and the bacteria in their mouth. Think of this. Think of, Have you been to uh, Dominican Republic? I haven't, no. Okay. So if you go to Dominican Republic, you cannot drink the water there. Okay. The reason why, because you come back and you will be on the toilet for the next three months. You're, it's going to be yeah. a, a disaster for you. Yeah. And it's because of the bacteria that they have in their water. However, they can drink it. No problems because they're, they've built up an immunity to it. Mm -hmm. And so am I anti-vaccination? No, I think there are certain things that I think that, you know, they've created a cure for like polio and uh, some other, a few other things that, yes, I, I think you should take those things. However, for the common flu, I think you have to allow your own immune system to build up its own Mm -hmm. defenses and fight it. And so, you know, they, they've talked about like the tonsils, the tonsils, your first line of defense, that's like your door. And I don't know if you remember back in the 80s, you used to rip people, like, people's tonsils out. Yeah, they used it's, to like rip- it's like, yeah, it's like ripping your front door out. And so what they're saying now is that when you get that vaccination, that's like a um, a burglar just getting injected right into your living room. Oh, okay. And so now your defense systems have to fight differently. You know, and so and again, look, I'm not a doctor, so Mm -hmm. fact check all this, whoever's listening to this stuff, right? I want to make sure you do that. However, I think where they failed was they didn't do a good job in protecting the elderly. I think they should have really locked down those old age homes. And and so hopefully this opens up conversations on um one not paying those, um, those workers enough money to having them work from two, three, four different locations. And, 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 you know, inadvertently, unfortunately they were, you know, spreading that to those elderly people, which which was sad. They should have locked
0: them Mm -hmm. down. And you know, uh, you know, a lot of the fear, a lot of our fear comes from you know our consumption of American news. And you look at uh, states like New York State. Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York State, uh, forced yeah. retirement homes to take COVID-infected uh, residents back. Uh, he actually mandated that they had to, and they could not refuse. And uh, and then he wanted to uh, later on give them indemnity if if they ever got a lawsuit from it. But people died in large number because of that. Uh, there were, yeah. there were some bad decisions made in all this. Like, you know, some of them uh, you could say, well, it's hard to know what was right. I think that that one we can, we can agree was uh was not a good, good choice, but uh, I'm sure it's, 2020.
1: It, it, it's always going to be 2020, but I think, look, when it was coming and the way was mm-hmm. coming this way, I think we knew that it was impacting older people. Mm-hmm. I think we knew that. And I think we also knew that it was impacting people that had compromised immune systems. Yeah. You know, and so... I think I saw something the other day. I can't remember the exact quote of it, but anyways, delayed death doesn't mean that you escape death.
0: Yeah, right. It's and true. Like a lot of these 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 cases were, you know, they were maybe just it, this was more of a catalyst than it was a cause. I would say right. that's probably on large scale uh, true. Right. Um, yeah. Okay, and look, and, 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 and I get off. It, it. No, no, no. And, and look, and I,
1: and I get it. Look, it, yeah. it's, it's a tough conversation to have, and I, and I don't mm-hmm. want to come across being insensitive. I don't yeah. want anybody to die. However, again, my big concern is yeah. uh, are these companies that could be impacted. Now, on yeah. the other side of this, as well, too, um, and I'm not even saying this because my business has been impacted. My business has been impacted significantly. However, I can sustain this. I'm, 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 I'm mm-hmm. okay. Most people don't have three months' savings or four-month savings. Right. Most people aren't going to be able to recover from this. However, I do think that anytime there are times of um, turmoil and, and, and the issues that we're going through today, that innovation comes out of this. Mm-hmm. And so I think the sooner that people can understand that the infor- or the industrial age is, going, is slowly dying and that we're moving into the information age, I think it's going to be a lot easier for people to move forward. And so I think it's about pivoting, shifting, and just uh, and, and adapting to change and not fighting it. What's happening is y- you're seeing a shrinkage from 10 years to one year. All this was going to happen anyways. It's just over a shorter period of time right. now.
0: Well, I mean, and things might shift back the other way. I know, uh, obviously, America is going to go far more away from Chinese manufacturing, maybe some stuff comes back uh, onto our shores. Maybe we do, to a certain degree, come back. But I know what you're saying, like there was a movement to work from home. That was already starting and right. this accelerated it. So, so to a certain degree, I, th- I think that that is definitely just accelerating what, what was inevitable uh, for, for sure. sure. And, and,
1: and I guess to clarify the industrial age, what I mean is that more commercial space. I think you're going to see mm-hmm. more companies that may be downtown Toronto, King and Bay that have two floors paying quarter million dollars a year. Do they need to go fully back? Probably not. Yeah. They can probably downsize a bit. And I think you're going to start seeing that. Yeah. And what might potentially, and who knows, maybe open that up now to maybe some of the housing crisis that we've had. Maybe sure. you turn some of those commercial spaces into affordable homes. Because I think what you're going to see as well, too, is an exodus. And again, I don't know. I'm not Nostradamus by any means. But I think you might see an exodus from people that are living in downtown Toronto to wanting now more rural properties, wanting yeah. more land, wanting a backyard where they mm-hmm. can actually go out as opposed to being on the 40th floor and you can only have two people in an elevator. Yeah. Good luck getting downstairs.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I never I never really understood it. I mean Toronto is fun, don't get me wrong. I, I like mm-hmm. I love hanging out down there, but but it's uh, it's tiny spaces. I do like I do like having a backyard. For sure. And and so and I
1: remember there was a time just before we bought our cottage, me and my wife, we were looking at condos downtown. Then we went down there, we're like, you know what, why don't we just if we ever need to come down here, we'll just rent a hotel for the night. You know, or, or or do an Airbnb. Let somebody else deal with it. Yeah. What, why do we need to buy a space down there for a whole year and try and figure out this whole? It was just, for us again. Not knocking it. It just wasn't for us.
0: Yeah. Right. So. Okay. So, so transition to one more thing that I think was important. Yep. Um, you talked about inflation and how you thought two, uh, two to 3% is absolute garbage. And just before we yep. dig into this, uh, inflation is the things that we buy going up in values are uh, going up in, in cost, not value. Yep. Um, so, so they would be, you know, if we're buying a basket of grocery goods, uh, various different things that we might buy, um, we have a consumer price index that measures these things. However, the consumer price index does not fairly include all goods and it is manipulatable Mm -hmm. by our government. Uh, They say two to 3%, but I don't believe it either. Tell me what your thoughts are. Yeah. It's nowhere near that. Just, just, if you even just take a look okay, so first
1: let's just talk about your raise at work. And, um, this is when it really hit home for me. And so at the time I was working at TD Bank, I think I was making, I don't remember, it was maybe 75, 80,000 a year. And I got a raise of $1,000. And that's not bad. That's pretty mm-hmm. decent, okay? Um, some people don't get raises for years. And so when I did the calculation on it, it worked out to like 1.5 or 1.6%. So even at that I wasn't even keeping up with the quoted number of inflation, okay? Um, And so then now, let's take a look at what real estate has done for the last, you know, several years. So you have to add that number into it. Um, Then you got to take a look at, you know, uh, the cost of groceries, and that's much higher.
0: And so when you really take a step back, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I don't think they include groceries in the consumer price index. I, I think there's only a few that are actually included in that. Um, yeah, I have only- to, to double check it, but yeah, I've heard the notion. I, I I can't remember where I saw this, but they said that that was that was too volatile. Is that that doesn't make sense? Yeah, he's <laughs> <yeah. means> included.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so the number for inflation, and that's what's stealing people's wealth, is is inflation. Yeah. And yeah, and here's the unfortunate part. And and look, I'm not an expert at this by any means, but the unfortunate part is they don't teach any of this stuff in schools so that people can have some healthy debates so they can Mm -hmm. actually show them some numbers like, you know, or even just teaching them credit cards and the difference between compound interest and simple interest or what is a mortgage and how do you calculate it and um let's all understand what a credit report is and how to read it. But yet the, oh, very, yeah. first, the very first uh, day in, in, in college or university, they have these tables lined up and they're going to give you credit cards and you have no idea how to use this weapon. And it's a weapon. Oh, and yeah. you have no idea what impact it's going to have on your credit report because you don't even know what a credit report is. Oh, yeah. Right? And, and so I'll give you an example. My, uh, my daughter, she went to Spain earlier uh, this year. And, um, and so she's come up to a lot of our investment clubs and she's done my bookkeeping. And when her friends come over, we sit down and we do whiteboards and we go through inflation and what to do with a dollar um, and all that. So, you know, she, she understands how it all works and how real is you know, obviously learning it and uh, much more knowledgeable than I would say I was at her age. And um, so she was taking a year off. Uh, from going to college because she wanted to go to Spain and do an au pair, which is essentially a family takes her in
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, um, you know, teach them English and they'll teach her Spanish. And so prior to going over there, she wanted to get a credit card. And so she went in and they denied her. And I so I, I know the branch manager incredibly well. So I'm like, what do you mean he denied you? So I went in there and I go, well, come to get the credit card and he goes, well, um, you know, she's not going to college. Uh, and so I'm like, well, hold on a second what does that have to do with anything, you know, cause he's come up to the investment clubs and he sees what we do and he knows exactly what I do and he knows my portfolio. And, uh, and I can say, so I told him, so you see how this is rigged. She has way more financial education than most kids are going to have that go into college or university, but yet, and, and she's, and she knows how to use it, but yet you're going to deny her. And so then you can see right then and there. And I pointed out to him that how the system is designed to, to not to benefit people, but to actually kind of keep them down in the beginning and not
0: give them that head start. It's almost like our government doesn't want people to be educated and have a well-formed opinion. No, and I get it. I understand why.
1: Think about if you were running a country, would you want to financially educate your, your country? Or do you then say, don't take out financial education, put them into schools, I need this guy to be an electrician. I need this guy to be a plumber. I need this guy to be a this. I need this. So you need to create worker bees. You cannot allow everybody to understand the financial education, how it all works. It took me a while to kind of figure that out. And I was like, oh, I get it. I need worker bees. (laughs) If I was running the country, I need worker bees for sure. And I'm not knocking those jobs. I'm not. I get it. Those are great jobs
0: as well, too. But some people, I think everybody should at least still understand how it all works. Well, and you need to invest what comes out of that job. And I think that that the system relies on us all continuing on. And if we became educated enough on, say, real estate investment, we'd eventually not need that job. And then we have a choice whether or not we work. And it takes people out of the workforce. Um, It it sounds like, you know, it sounds a little sinister. um, But... uh, I don't know that's how I see it too you know and I, I'm not saying that I know for a fact it just seems to me it's too there's no way that's just a coincidence that it all happens to be that way um, well they yeah they took it out 100% we could we could out. 100% teach people how to do this stuff we could teach financial literacy we could teach uh, bookkeeping and accounting in high school we could teach basic economics and basic politics so people could have well formed opinions because I believe it's our civic duty to have an opinion on political and economic issues and in order to have an opinion we need to know the basics we need Absolutely. to
1: understand the basics. Yeah, I, I don't know if your listeners have ever read the book, uh, The Creature from Jekyll Allen, but that's a great book where it talks about, um, uh, I don't know if it was Rockefellers, but they actually took yeah. financial education out of the schools is so it was not they formed and, the and Fed all, too right that, yeah so i think that was taken out in 1905 and i think they formed the the federal reserve in 1913 or 19 1914 yeah. yeah so it was yeah. the
0: rockefellers j p morgan uh, and rock rothschild there was another yep. i think uh, yeah the, warburg warburg family yes yeah. exactly there's yep. another one in there too uh, you can read the book on it. Um, yeah, they created the Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve is actually a private bank. That's another discussion yes. for another day. It's crazy, crazy. It's not actually government owned, uh, which it is isn't. insane.
1: Insane. It isn't. It uh, isn't. It, it's. A, yeah. It's. It's a great book, and yeah. uh, it, it's again, people just need to educate yeah. themselves on money and how it works, and understand what happened in you know with with money being tied to gold, and the you know what happened yeah. in the 1970s with Richard Nixon. Those are all important things to. Understand understand. If you don't yes. understand how money works and you just can't understand how this all works yeah. and then so you just get caught in the system of I'll just give my money to the bank and let them invest it for Right. Me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You have to absolutely have to start questioning what you're told. Don't don't just take somebody else's opinion. This is good or this politician did this bad or whatever. Um uh, I strongly encourage people to dig into this stuff. It does not take that long to learn the basics. Um, you know, if you'd like to have an opinion on something and you need a little direction, like, you know, shoot me a message and I can maybe provide you with some resources, um, that, that will help, you know, get you started. But, uh, Gary, I don't want to keep you too long. Um, where should people reach out to you if uh, if they want to follow you or they want to get in touch? Yeah. Um, so if,
1: uh, if you want to uh, reach out to me, um, my email is Gary G A R Y at smarthomechoice.ca. Um, if you want to find me on Instagram or Facebook or uh, LinkedIn, any of those, um, uh, social media, um, you can just type in Gary Herbert and you, and you'll find me.
0: All right. So Gary, once all this is done, where's the first place you're going to travel? the first place I'm going to travel, you know what? So
1: like I mentioned earlier, um, my daughter was in Spain. We actually had to pull her back uh, two. we pulled her back two weeks or two days before they shut down the airport. Um, And so me and my wife were actually supposed to go to Spain uh, next week um, to go and pick her up and go and hang out there and, uh, and, and check out Europe. So I think, I think I'd like to go there and check nice. it out. I really, I really do because when I was there for a few days, it was, it was just a beautiful, different experience. Uh, but if not, I'll probably go down to, uh, I don't know if you've been in Antigua Antigua's beautiful. So I maybe not, just go there and land the beach and, uh, yeah. And, uh, get drunk.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great, man. All right, Gary, uh, that was a pleasure. Uh, really enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, we'll definitely have to connect further. I've got like another hour and a half worth of questions to ask you and talk to you about, but <laughs> oh, anytime I
1: enjoyed this. Thanks for reaching yeah. out and thanks for having me in your show. And, uh, yeah, I, I hope your audience gets some, uh, some, some great info out of this. Oh, Thank I'm sure you. they did
0: thanks for watching today's episode just a friendly reminder to please rate and review this podcast on itunes if you're watching on youtube make sure that you smash the like and subscribe and notification bell uh and also leave a comment and hey while you're at it why not share this episode with somebody you think it could help it helps this podcast grow and i would really appreciate it thanks again we'll see you on the next episode